Um, it is wonderful, isn't it, to be able to be in two places at the same time. Uh, but in Hebron, we've been working our way through uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians. You might have guessed that from uh, the reading we just had. And at this unusual time, uh, things are, are quite strange, aren't they, where we're, we're having these kinds of services. Um, during this time, we've been working our way through this epistle, and I've felt very much Philippians is a good place to be. Uh, I'm sure many of you will know some familiar verses, some encouraging verses from um, this, this epistle. Uh, chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7, I'm sure you know these verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there are these lovely themes. Uh, there is the theme of joy uh, that runs through this epistle. Uh, Paul says at the beginning of chapter 3, we had it in our reading a moment ago, there in verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And uh, he says the same thing in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, so Paul is separated from the Philippians. He is far away from them. He is in prison, under house arrest, uh, probably in Rome, and yet he says, rejoice. And so the Christian is reminded in all circumstances, they can rejoice and they can know this peace that surpasses all understanding. And so Philippians has, I felt anyway, proved uh, to be a lovely place to be in the word of God. But I've also felt there have been similarities between the context here and our own context at the moment with this coronavirus. Uh, now, bear with me. I know the similarity isn't exactly the same, but there is something similar about our situations. Let me explain it by pointing you to two verses. So if you've got Philippians open in front of you, that will be helpful because we will flick through various verses. But Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is far away, and he wants something for the Philippians. When he hears about them, this is what he wants to hear. He wants to hear that they are standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He wants a unity, a togetherness, but he wants them to be standing fast and striving for the faith of the gospel. Now, the phrase I want you to consider is this. He says, whether I come and see you or am absent. Uh, Paul thinks it may be possible. A time might be coming when he will be released and he'll be able to go to the Philippians again. He'll be able to see them. He'll be able to be with them. He'll be able to be a shepherd to them over the flock. But it might be that he's unable to do that and he will remain absent. Well, whatever the case, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I want to hear that you are standing fast and are striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's a similar verse in chapter 2. So turn over to chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul there writes this. He says, Therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, so remember, salvation in the Bible is, is spoken of in different tenses. Um, a Christian might say, I was saved. There was a day when I was saved. We also think of salvation in terms of the future. Uh, Christ is coming. When I see him, I shall be made like him. My salvation will be complete. But there's this ongoing sense of salvation too, that God is conforming us. He's making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. More of the, the fruit of the Spirit is to be seen in our lives. And that's the sense in which Paul writes of salvation here in verse 12. Well, Paul wants that for them. He wants them to be working out their own salvation, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. There's the idea, isn't there, that now he's not with them, they need to be working out their salvation all the more. All the more you need to be putting energy into your salvation into following Christ, into obeying him and being faithful to him and knowing what it is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a kind of similarity between that Philippian context and our own context. And what do I mean? Well, we're separated from each other. We are not together. It is lovely that we can have a service like this and that uh, you can have people uh, and your pastor preach to you uh, via a service on YouTube, and uh, it's lovely that we can meet in the week on Zoom for prayer and in groups and things like that. We can have fellowship in all of these different ways, but there are things where things are not the same and things can't be the same. Uh, perhaps at the moment you have more time on your hands, and having more time on your hands, well, there may be dangers in that. You can be lazy, you can become slothful, you can get out of routine, your, your habits of, of prayer and reading scripture, um, they get lost as, as routines change. What it might be, you've got less time on your hands. Uh, your, your house is jam-packed full of people with children who can't go to school. You've got a job to do. They're at home. Everyone's under pressure. And there's a need to be patient and, and gracious. And life has become hard. Well, all the more. In this unusual time, do we need to be people who work out our own salvation? We are separate. And so Paul says to the Philippians now, um, so Philippians 2 verse 12, he says, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Much more we need to be working at these things. And so the verses I want us to look at this evening are in chapter 3. So Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. Um, now, perhaps we won't look at everything in those verses. And if you forget everything I say this evening, see if you can remember this. Uh, verse 12, we have this phrase, press on. And then verse 13, we have reaching forward. And the beginning of verse 14, I press toward. So remember those words, press on, reach forward. Uh, I usually preach from the, the ESV, and uh, where in the New King James it has reach forward, uh, the ESV has um, straining forward. And um, 
I quite like that. Think of a think of a runner because there's certainly the picture of a race here. The beginning of verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize. And so Paul is using the picture of a race, but think of straining forward, a runner who strains forward. Uh, I'm sure you've watched the Olympic Games and uh, the, the 100 metres, and you see these um, the, the best sprinters in the world. Uh, the whole race is done in nine or ten seconds. Uh, and what amazes me is at the end of the race, they're being interviewed It might be five minutes or so after the race was finished, but they're pouring with sweat and they are out of breath. Why? Because every bit of them, every ounce of energy was poured into that nine or ten seconds, straining forward. And that's the idea here. As we're we're apart from each other, uh, we need to make all the more effort. Um, Surely the call for a greater energy and a greater focus uh, is, is, is all the more in this, in this uh, circumstance that we're in. And so what's the race about? We're to press on, we're to reach forward, we're to press toward the goal. Well, it's there in verse 14, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul has given a picture of the Christian life. And there will be a completion to our salvation. Uh, the, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, go back to verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, a day is coming when we will know the resurrection from the dead. Um, read and meditate upon a passage like 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, meditate upon the glory and wonder of the resurrection body. That's where the believer is headed. Um, That's what the race is all about. The race is is that destination. Um, In verse 12, Paul begins verse 12, or sorry, in the second half of verse 12, he says this, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Uh, Paul says, I'm aiming for something. Christ laid hold of me, and now I'm, I'm going for what he laid hold of me for. Uh, and so what has Christ laid hold of Paul for? What have you been laid hold of for? Well, that's the final destination. But look at the, some of the things Paul writes about in verse 10 as well. Uh, in verse 10, Paul says this, that I may know him. Um, I've been saved. I I know Christ. Paul knew Christ. But Paul wants to know him. Um, If you meet somebody and uh, they're interesting, uh, you might say, I'd like to know this person more. I'd like to know that person better. Paul wants to know Christ more. And as he follows Christ, verse 10 goes on, he wants to know the power of his resurrection. Uh, And so the power of his resurrection, what does that mean? Well, the Christian. Uh, we're given this picture in scripture that the Christian is someone who is joined to Christ. He's united to Christ. What's happened to, to Christ in some way has happened to the believer. Christ died. The Christian is joined to Christ in his death. What does that mean? He's died to sin. Christ is risen. The believer has risen with Christ. What does that mean? The believer has risen to a new kind of life. The believer is somebody who is no longer 
under the dominion of sin. Sin is no longer the master of the Christian. And so Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know more of that. Holiness matters. Why have I been saved? If you're a Christian, why have you been saved? Well, you could say you're saved because of the love of God. Uh, You might say, I've been saved for the glory of God, for the praise of his name. Those things are true. Uh, But how about this? On Tuesday nights in Hebron, we're working our way at least through the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul says this in verse 4. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I've been saved so that I should become holy. And that's what this race is that Paul is, is writing about here. He says at the beginning of verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Paul says I've been saved, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained that blamelessness, that, that, that holiness that I will know, that time when I will be ever free from sin, uh, when the presence of sin will no longer be with me. I'm not there. And so I'm pressing on. I'm reaching forward. I'm pressing toward the goal uh, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says he wants to know Christ. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. Go back to verse 10 again. He also wants to know this, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, to say, I, I, want to, I want to know the sufferings of Christ. I want to suffer like he suffered. I want to know that. How could Paul say that? I, I don't think Paul is being um, masochistic, that he, he is desiring pain to come his way. But he wants to be involved in the cause of Christ. And Christ said to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. And so Paul wants to serve Christ. And in that sense, he's prepared to suffer. He wants to to share in the sufferings of Christ. When I was a boy in school, we used to play uh, rugby. And uh, I remember at the end of a game, we would sometimes uh, make fun of the, the wingers. Because out there on the wing, you don't get the ball very much or at least in the team that I played for, you didn't, because we weren't very good at passing and uh, we didn't get the ball out to them much. But they didn't see much action. And so at the end of a game, everyone would come off caked in mud, but the wingers would look as clean um, as they were at the beginning of the match. And uh, I used to think it was a thing of shame. It looked like you hadn't got involved. And so maybe a winger would be there splashing some mud on themselves at the end of the game to to make it look like they've been busy. Uh, My point is this. At the end of the race, what would you rather? Would you rather come off with a few specks of mud on you? In other words, you didn't really get involved in the cause of the kingdom, in serving Christ. Or would you rather come off caked in mud or with a bloody nose? You've been involved. You've suffered for Christ. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. Do you want to get involved in the battle? I want to serve him. Here is one who gave himself for me. Remember Paul's words in in chapter 2. 
the key to all of this, chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Consider Christ. Here is one who gave himself for me. Uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Here is one who gave himself for me, even death uh, on a cross. And so Paul wants to give himself. Now, that's the Christian life. That's what Paul is aiming for. He wants to know Christ. He wants to, to walk with Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know more victory over sin so that he might realize what he's been saved for. That is, that he's been saved to be holy. He wants to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Uh, the point is this, that requires effort. The Apostle Paul says, all the more, and not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. Work at this. Put effort into it. Put focus into it. Put energy into it. And that's why it's significant that we have this, this picture of a race. We are to run the race. Now that requires energy and focus. Now let me say, don't misunderstand this message I have for you this evening. It's really quite a simple message. Uh, remember I said, if you forget everything I've said, um, remember this, press on, reach forward, press toward, do those things all the more in this unusual time as you're out of your routines or uh, you've got more pressure on you than you, you normally have. Do those things all the more. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying either. Paul is given here the picture of energy and effort and exertion. Firstly, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying in this way. He says those things after this wonderful section that we read, or we took as our reading a moment ago, that this first half of Philippians chapter 3. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, jump back with me for a moment to the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And then he says this, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then straight away he warns them about false teachers. In other words, there's a connection there. False teaching will strip a Christian of their joy. And so what is the false teaching that he was warning them about? Well, in verse 3, he mentions circumcision. It seems that within the church, there would have been those who were saying, okay, you're following Christ, but what you, what you need is to add circumcision. And Paul, Paul, Paul scorn upon that. Um, he says, I have, end of verse 3, I have no confidence in the flesh. And then in verse 4, he says this, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's saying, if the way to be right with God, if the way to know God is through the flesh, through something like circumcision, or if it's through your nationality, 
or if it's through some kind of zealous service, well, I have, I have so much to my credit. And uh, he lists those things. But then he comes to this understanding, uh, verse 7. Uh, what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss. Uh, he says, the very things I thought would give me credit are actually loss. Uh, verse 8, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says all of those things are rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Why? What does he have in Christ? Verse 9, Paul wants to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. It might be you're, you're watching this service this evening, and uh, perhaps you don't know what it really means to be a Christian. Well, I love the picture of being at rest. Uh, who is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has come to rest in Jesus Christ. It's not about me building up my own portfolio of evidence, as Paul was doing, and saying to God, look at all of my gain, and look at all the things I've done. No, instead, it's resting in Christ. Now, Paul might have had the appearance of blamelessness when it came to, to looking at him and his outward performance, but through and through, he was, he was rotten to the core. And all of us are, are tainted with sin, in every part of us. And so what does it mean to be a Christian? If you don't understand the Christian faith, grasp this now. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you are resting in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for his people. At the moment, everything is put on hold, isn't it? And uh, if you're into sport, there's no football, there's no rugby, uh, there's no um, there's no highlights of games on, on match of the day on a Saturday night. If you subscribe to Sky Sports or BT Sport or whatever it might be, there's nothing to watch. And so what's happening at the moment is they're putting old games on the television. And so you, you have all of these old Wales matches. Yesterday there was a rugby match, Wales-England in 1999. Um, not yesterday, the Saturday before, uh, they showed Wales-England in football. Uh, from 1984, Wales won 1 0. Mark Hughes scored after 17 minutes. Now, if you're a football fan, I watched a bit of those matches. I recorded them. I fast forwarded to the bits I wanted to see. I didn't sit through 80 or 90 minutes. But if you're a real fan and uh, you love the game, maybe, maybe you sat through those games. And if you did, it would have been a very restful experience. There was no tension for you. You weren't biting your nails when it hit the 80-minute mark and, and Wales still needed a try. Or, 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 or Wales scored the try and you were wondering whether Neil Jenkins would get that kick over. Well, he did and you knew he did because perhaps you remembered it or, or you knew BBC Wales were only showing it because Wales won the game. There was no tension. There was no fear. And that's what it is to be a Christian. The victory has been won. The Lord Jesus Christ gives you his righteousness. He has lived the life that you can never live. 
And so being a Christian is resting in him. When you come to faith in Christ, when you trust the Lord Jesus, it means that God considers, he thinks of that perfect life of Christ as if it were yours. It's not yours. You, you didn't live it. But God considers it as belonging to you. And the price for your sin was paid at the cross of Christ. He took the punishment, the wrath of God upon himself. And so Paul wants to be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law. And so this evening, remember my simple message. My simple message is, is this. You need to press on. You need to keep going. You need to strain, strain forward. Uh, you need to keep pursuing the holiness for which God has saved you. But don't misunderstand the message. You are saved because you are resting in Christ. Uh, I heard some pundit once speaking about the, the long-distance runner Mo Farah. And uh, he, he's won lots of medals, hasn't he? And uh, this pundit was suggesting part of the reason for his success was because he was very disciplined when it came to resting. And before a big race, other athletes might overdo the training. And they might do a lot of training in advance of the game. But he would know when it was time to rest. And so he'd save his energy for the race. Now, I don't want to push that analogy because we'll end up in all kinds of trouble. Uh, but my point is this. The Christian is running the race, but because he is first come to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He rests in what Christ has done. Now he's on the race and he pursues holiness. And so don't misunderstand the message in that way. Secondly, don't misunderstand it in this way. Um, Paul is very clear that salvation is God's work from beginning to end. Uh, so remember chapter 1. In chapter 1, right at the beginning of the epistle, Paul wrote this in verse 6. He said this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. That God brings a person to life. They were dead in their sin. They are made alive in Christ. And then God continues his work. Uh, I'm sure you know this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the verse before, Paul has just said, we are not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. But we are God's workmanship. God is crafting his people into who he wants them to be. And he has prepared, verse 10, good works, he has prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. And so salvation is God's work. Paul makes that point in verse 13 as well of chapter 2 in Philippians. So I, I, read, you, uh, I read to you verse 12 um, a moment ago, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then comes verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his, his good pleasure. So Paul is saying, I'm not with you. I'm absent from you. So all the more, work out your own salvation. But you do it against this background. He is the encouragement. He is the incentive. God is at work in you. God works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If you're with me, if you're still with me, 
I read uh, an email from uh, from Jeff Thomas. He sent a, an email to a number of people yesterday, and uh, in it, he spoke about the difference between preaching to a congregation and preaching to a screen. So if I could see your faces, I could see if perhaps you weren't with me anymore. Um, but if you're if you're not with me, then uh, look again, chapter two, uh, verse twelve, the end of verse twelve. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? With fear and trembling. What does Paul mean there? Um, I don't think he means um, with fear and trembling, as in maybe you will lose your salvation or, or anything like that. How does Paul use that phrase, fear and trembling? Uh, when you read the Bible, that's an important thing to do, more important sometimes than looking at the origin or the root of a word and, and, uh, and so on. Instead, look at how a word is used. And Paul uses that word or that phrase, fear and trembling, in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, so Ephesians 6 verse 5, he says this, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Uh, what does Paul mean there? With fear and trembling, obey your masters. I don't think he means cringe with fear. He means, if you're a servant, respect your master. Show them due reverence. Uh, Paul uses the same phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 15, he says, um, he's talking about how Titus went to the church in Corinth. And uh, Paul says this, his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. And so what does Paul mean? Does Paul mean when Titus turned up in the church at Corinth, the Corinthians were full of fear and trembling when they saw Titus? Does he mean they were scared out of their wits? No, I think what he means is they showed Titus respect and reverence as one who Paul, the Apostle Paul, had sent to them. And so what does Paul mean with fear and trembling? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I think he means something like this. Stand in awe and wonder of what God is doing. God is working holiness in you. I think of the Apostle Paul standing in awe and wonder that God would complete his work in someone like him. Someone like him who, who stood and, uh, and approved of, of the, the stoning of Stephen. As someone like Paul, who went from house to house in Jerusalem, dragging Christians from their homes, that God would do a work in him, or work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and wonder. And so don't misunderstand this energy, uh, this vigor, this exertion that you need to put into working out your own salvation. Remember those two things. A Christian is someone who rests in Christ. Uh, don't be don't be busy trying to prove yourself. Come to Christ and know the righteousness that comes from him. And also don't misunderstand this. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. But nevertheless, the point is this. Holiness is not simply going to happen to us. And that's what I want you to consider this evening. Work out your own salvation. Run the race. Pay attention to these phrases press on reach forward press towards all the more maybe at this time when life is, is not normal for us holiness 
won't simply happen. You need to, to press on, to strain forward. When I was um, a teacher in Pontypool, one of my colleagues was a, a long-distance runner. Uh, at one time, he was in the top 100 uh, mountain runners in the world. And uh, when you work with someone like that, this is the experience. He's in the classroom next door to you. He turns up to school in his running gear. He's run to school, run over the mountain, separating Cumbran and Pontypool. At the end of the day, he runs home again. Um, you go on a, a, a geography field trip with him. And uh, he's up early in the morning. As you're getting out of bed, he's come back. He's been for his morning run. My point is this, is his ability to complete those races, his ability to complete those mountain races he was, he was entered in was because he put in the hard work. Uh, he was someone who put his energy into it. Uh, and so we are, to, we are to press on, we're to, to strain forward, we're to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, own um, a collection of sermons uh, by Martin Lloyd-Jones on, on these um, verses, on, on, on the epistle to the Philippians. And uh, when Lloyd-Jones preached in one of his sermons on verses 12 to 14, he made this observation, uh, that in verse 12, we have that phrase, press on, and then it's repeated in verse 14, I press toward, the same word is used back in verse 6. So glance back at verse 6 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. The same word is used of Paul's zealousness when it came to persecution. And so the point Lloyd-Jones was making this was this, the same energy that the Apostle Paul put into persecuting the church, as he was zealous for that, he now puts into this, into uh, running the race, into the Christian life. He puts the same energy into it. I heard a story um, sometime in the last year about a man who used to preach in the open air in Aberdeen, And somebody told me about him and they said, you see, he'd always been a preacher. Before he was a Christian, before he was a Christian, he was, he was a communist. And he'd stand on the street giving out his communist leaflets. And then he was converted and he stood on the, the street preaching Christ. Now, I was reminded of that when I considered this. It's a lovely picture. All that energy put into, into the one thing. Now it's transferred to something else, to following Christ to knowing him, to knowing the power of his resurrection, to, uh, to suffering for Christ, to knowing the fellowship of his suffering, is put into that. And so, is your energy at the moment being poured into following Christ? Is your energy being poured into working out your own salvation? Are you seeing everything through the lens of, I am a follower of Christ? Or is your vision wonky? Is your vision blurred? Or do you see your job, your career as the big thing? Uh, are you looking for the next stage of your life, the next house, whatever it might be? Are you consumed with materialism? Are you consumed with yourself? Or is everything seen through this lens? I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, in Hebron, we had a men's meeting 
a couple of weeks ago, and we're working through a little book uh, called Introduction to the Puritans. Uh, that might not be the title, I might have got that wrong, but uh, it's a book that contains chapters from various Puritan works. And uh, we read an extract from the Puritan Richard Baxter from his um, gigantic book called the, the Christian Directory. But it was a good example of Puritan writing. Uh, the Puritans weren't just about Sunday Christianity. The Puritans were about living for Christ in every sphere of your life, and that comes out in Baxter's Christian directory. What does it mean to follow Christ in the home? What does it mean to follow Christ in the workplace? What does it look like in all of these various spheres of your life? Is that how you are viewing life? I am living for Christ. How do I live for Christ here? How do I live for Christ in this situation? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so let me just point out a few things from verse 13 to close. Um, in verse 13, so look at verse 13 of chapter 3, um, Paul says some things that illustrate this focus. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. So he's not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, to those things which are ahead. He's reaching forward. Where are his eyes? Straight ahead. The big picture, if you like, is he's not distracted. When I was growing up, I used to love watching the film Chariots of Fire. If it was raining outside, in the, in the video would go. And there's a, a bit in that film where Harold Abrahams is berating himself. He loses a race. He loses a 100-meter race. Why does he lose? He looked. He looked to the right or the left, and uh, he berates himself. You never look. It's a rule of a sprinter. You, you keep going straight. You keep your eye on the line. If you look, it will slow you down. And so that's the idea here. Don't be distracted. If I can mention uh, Lloyd-Jones's sermons again, he gives an illustration of a man who, who was in a car in some country road and he he got held up by a flock of sheep on the road and uh, he, he sat there in his car and watched what was going on and uh, he watched the sheep being controlled by a very good sheepdog and the sheepdog was doing what sheepdogs do running back and forwards and uh, controlling the sheep and then out from a nearby house comes a little terrier and the terrier is an irritated little terrier and uh, he wants to pick a fight with the sheepdog. But the sheepdog is a good sheepdog, and he won't be distracted. And so he ignored the barking and the yapping of the little terrier. He was focused. And that's Paul's picture here. Don't be distracted. Uh, keep reaching forward. Some distractions might be, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. It might be good things that are behind. It might be bad things that are behind you. But don't be distracted by what's behind. What's behind is behind. You need to keep going forward. Uh, last summer, I walked up uh, Snowdon with one of my sons, and uh, about an hour, an hour and a half in, you turn around and uh, it's satisfying, isn't it? You can, you can look down uh, from an altitude and see how far you've come. But standing there and looking back down the path is no good for getting you up the path. You need to turn around. You need to, to keep going. 
Another point is we might look back and see how far we've come. And we might look back and, and look at how God has blessed us in the past. But those blessings, we need to, to focus on the trials of today. Um, the fact that you withstood a temptation yesterday. Um, will that help you today and tomorrow? There are more battles ahead. Don't rest uh, on simply how far you've come. You need to keep pressing on. But it might be as well you were distracted by bad things in the past. It may be this evening you were plagued by, by guilt, by the guilt of your sin, by failure. And maybe you think, I, I'm just a winger in the Christian life. Actually, I haven't made much of a stand at all in my workplace. I'm coming off the field of battle and I've just got a, a few flakes of mud on me. I feel very compromised. I wish I'd suffered more for Christ. I wish I'd said something in that conversation. Or I wish I, I wasn't compromised on that occasion. And uh, I was disobedient. And it might be you're plagued by that. Well, don't misunderstand me now. I'm not advocating any kind of easy grace. I'm not saying that sin doesn't matter. Of course, sin matters. Christ paid the price for our sin with his blood. Sin matters. But the point I'm making is this. What else can you do but go to Christ? Go to him again. Go and, and trust him uh, that he has paid for your sin. He has promised to take your sin from you. Take him at his word. Uh, don't be plagued by the past. You need to, you need to, to reach forward. You need to, to keep going. Uh, and so forget what lies, uh, what lies um, in the past. Uh, don't live in the failures of the past. Let me just close with verse 14. Uh, look at verse 14 to close. Paul says this, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, there was a time when Paul was called by Christ Jesus. For Paul, it was on the road to Damascus. Uh, there was a time in your life when you were called to follow Christ and by his grace, by his irresistible grace, you responded. Well, another call is coming. Uh, another call is coming when Christ will, will call you home. All of life is pressing towards that. Are you spending life preparing to live in his awesome holiness, in the presence of his holiness? And at the moment, these politicians are saying, uh, get ready for the new normal. Uh, one day we will have a new normal. Uh, we will know the glorious resurrection body. When we see him, we will be made like him in terms of that glorious body. A spiritual body, says Paul, um, a body governed perfectly by the power and will of the Holy Spirit, where the presence of sin will no longer remain, where the battle will be over. Are you living in the light of that day? And are you preparing yourself for that day? Press on and strain forward.